Hello and welcome to Dynasty as They Want to Be, a podcast where we drill into every episode of the iconic 1980s television series, Dynasty. I'm your host, Derek J. Lang, and with me is my co-host, Kyler K. Jafari. Bonsoir. Good evening. You've made a great concoction for us, a classic to imbibe on while we discuss this week's episode. Yeah, um... I guess now is the time because as we see later, Claudia is at Scandals ordering a martini. Yeah. Uh, you know, this this drink doesn't get a lot of love in the 80s and 90s. It, it almost disappeared and uh, all the cocktails really were pretty bad at this time. It was wine coolers, white wine spritzer, maybe some Bud Light. Somehow the martini made it all the way through and it's still here with us today and I, I still think it's a great drink it's one of the first drinks i ever ordered at the uh i don't know the bowling alley in altamont springs florida or something like that and i've i've drank everything and i still come back to the archduke of all cocktails and all it is is a couple ounces of gin a dash of vermouth and if you leave the vermouth out you're just making you're a monster a bucket of gin yeah, yeah. You're, you're that's just an excuse to be an alcoholic um and you need that that garnish you know i think the olive is classic and the twist of lemon is totally cool too it's debatable which one came first or maybe they both coincided and lived in a parallel universe together but anyway whether you like it with an olive or a lemon twist it's 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 the dry gin martini and that's that's what we're drinking tonight. Yeah, well, that's what I love about the martini. The history isn't totally written in stone. No, it's not. I, I hate to give shout outs. David Wunderich did a lot, a, a tireless scholarship on the origins and history of the martini. And even he admits that we're not quite sure of exactly what the the, the heritage is. But we have a lot of sort of you know sidebars throughout history going way back to a couple hundred years ago almost maybe 150 years ago anyway but here we are still drinking it and it's so delicious and it gets the job done and it's a sharp pure simple drink that cuts right to the chase so well chin 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 chin. cheers uh here's to claudia blaisdell hopefully after we drink these we don't do everything she did in this episode. Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't mind doing a few of those things. Mm. I mean, I would love to like Very get good. in a time machine and go back to Scandals. Scandals looked amazing. So this episode actually, fun fact, was part two of a two-parter. So last week's episode, Crystal's Lie, and this week's episode, The Necklace, were together. So I don't remember if we mentioned it last week, but there was no to be continued dot, 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 because as they That's originally why. aired. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so spoiler alert, we do get a to be continued dot, dot, dot at Damn the end of this continued. episode. Um, but I think the episodes themselves really stand on their own. Unlike oil parts one, two, Which three. Which really or, kind of requires all in one viewing. Yes. It's, it's very filmic in that way, but these sort of stand alone. Um, but was I, it just like sweeps week? Do you think? I mean, or or why was there a special two parter? Uh, I don't no know. Idea. So don't try to make me look bad. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, You're making me look bad in front of the guests. I don't know. But on the day that this episode aired, I do know that a plane was hijacked by some um, Pakistani terrorists. Oh, I kind of, I vaguely recall that from, from history at that time. Yes, March 2nd, 1981. All right. Anyway, let's take a break and we'll get into this episode. And I'm going to take a few more sips of this martini. <laughs> Welcome back. All right, Kyler, we have to start exactly where we left off. Well, we want to move on from the darkness, but... I would love to move on from the darkness, but it seems like they just sort of gloss over the fact that spousal rape just happened on this show. Again, I, I this part of this, like, because also Claudia and Matthew are having a, a, an argument, obviously not to the level that Blake and Karen or Blake and Crystal have, uh, but it's, I want to relate to what's going on right now in this episode because... You know, when people have been together for a long time, they they do go down these dark paths sometimes. And so, I on one hand, I sympathize. Like, you know, Crystal's at home moping. Blake's at work worrying about his wife. Moping and, is an understatement. She's catatonic well, okay, you're right. because yes. she was just violently well, attacked by her n- new husband. I mean, I'm surprised she's not drinking, smoking, and shooting up drugs because, like, I don't know how she got through all this after what we saw in the previous episode. And, you know, Blake's Blake's at work. He's worried, but you also have to think, like, well, it's for his own selfish reasons, right? But they're yes. in a relationship. They're married. And there is some kind of weird love between the two of them, I guess. I more on his side. I clearly Crystal is is the 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 good cop in this situation. But you know I think there's a there's a level of abuse that's just not excusable by flowers. I mean Yeah, so that's how Blake decides to apologize is he comes home because she refuses to answer her calls as she should. And he presents her with a a box of flowers and this story that's like a non-apology. The story went on too long and I was just like, I don't want to hear this story, dude. But it's also like he wasn't he wasn't speaking from his heart. He's telling the story about how he got the flower owner, the flower shop owner, to open up to get him the flowers, and he was telling the flower shop owner version of romance. You know, it's the same place that uh, he bought the flowers for the baby shower, I think, or right after the baby shower in the first couple episodes, if you remember. And he he bought out the whole shop for her. Yeah, of course. But like what so he callback, did but. is so unforgivable. So there's not really anything that he could do. But like, this is it? Flowers well, and a story about convincing he, the flower shop deliver- owner yes, to Yes, he's open. delivering that like piss poor story. And then... He he has the nerve to say to her that she has the strangest kind of power over him. And I'm just like, what the fuck does that mean? Like, you just overcame her with your own power and, and asserted, you know, all kinds of inappropriate... It's just, it's a violation. Right. Well, and then can't. that's the other weird thing is that he kind of turns it around on her and right. it's like... You have such power over me. Uh, you make me love you so much that he's still victimizing her, even in this apology moment. Crystal, 
You seem to have the strangest kind of power over me. It's just that it's not my nature to have anyone affect me this way, to, to be so close to me. It's not that I wanted the child that much. It's just I wanted a part of me to live inside you. For a minute, I shouldn't say a minute, for a moment, she has a reaction. And again, Linda Evans, her face, her eyes say it all. And I thought they were saying something and I thought she was not going to buy this. And then suddenly she's back in his arms and okay. Oh, you apology know, accepted. Apology, yeah. And I'm just like, is this Stockholm syndrome? I mean, because she's basically said she, she's not going to leave him. And it, it was sort of implied that she couldn't leave him because the money, the house, the pre-planned agreement, all of the you know consequences of making such a decision. So okay, yeah, apology accepted. But it's all like in a in this like loving crystal way. And I'm it's it's again Stockholm syndrome. I don't know what else this is. This is insane. Yeah, and Blake reiterates the fact that he just really really wants a child because a child would be an indication and he keeps of their about love it in for her. each other. It's like gross. Yeah, I'm so glad that we have alcoholic beverages because I wouldn't be able. And the to other get thing is, like, this. he's like, "You're the most beautiful woman I've ever known and loved." And it's why is it always like about looks? Because like one day she's gonna get old. I mean, hopefully she's still beautiful. Yeah, I mean, any way you slice it, the whole thing is disgusting. And look, the only way I'm gonna be able to get through this podcast and moving forward is to kind of forget the whole thing happened. Because well, that's what Crystal's trying to do. No, and it's not healthy, and it's not what you should do in these situations at all. Obviously, it leads to other emotional problems and other problems in your life. But I don't know. I don't know how to wrap my head around this. I, I, I think I'm going to be like Crystal. I'm just going to accept it and just just ignore it and move on. Uh, so we have Matthew and Claudia who are also sort of not having, you know, their marriage is a little bit on the rocks. I, I do like the, they have this like argument before Matthew goes to work and he's, you know, like, Oh, the oil rig came in. We're, we're in the money, honey. And she's like, I want to come along. And he's like, well, you know, I'm going to be out with the guys for like the next two to three days because of this, which I guess that's how big of a deal it is. It's like going to be a, a 72 hour free for all drill, baby yeah. drill. And, but you know, so they, they get into sort of a, a, a serious disagreement and she's like, you're not around, you're not expressing yourself. We're not having sex. We're not, you know, we're just not even like, we're not even married anymore. Well, all of this underlying tension is because she knows that he stepped out when she yes. was in the mental institution with crystal. So everything she's saying goes back to that. But what I like is she's not going off the handle. She's actually kind of pragmatic about the whole thing. And so it's like, oh, she's not the crazy woman who got locked, locked up in the hospital or what everybody keeps saying about her. Claudia can't handle the stress of her home life. And as you sort of mentioned at the beginning of the episode, she decides to go out on the town. Well, I... I like the parallel with Claudia going out and then Lindsay going out and they're having their own separate evenings, but they're kind of the same. Like, I guess it's like Friday night or I hope it's Friday night. I hope they're not doing this on a school night. And Claudia goes to singles bar scandals. 
And Lindsay goes to like her, you know, friends party out in the suburbs or something at Tanya's parents' house, I guess. Now, I have a question. Yes. Is Scandals a disco? Disco is dead at this point, right? <sighs> you know, I was going to get into this for a hot second, but I'm not really sure. I would have called this a fern bar, which was like the term for these sorts of places because they were like singles bars. But it doesn't have like quite the antiques nailed to the wall and Tiffany lampshades on everything. But it's still there the same idea. There was a rope around the dance floor. There was a rope around People the dance floor. People were booking so down. This, so I guess this was technically still more of a discotheque. Maybe they, we just we'll just call it a singles bar, and that's what she calls it. So yeah, well, there's dancing, there's drinks, and there's lots of flirting with you know, Claudia like, Blaisdell the, at the bar. The Fern Bar turned more into like what we know today as like TGI Fridays or like what was Bennigan's or even Chili's, you know. But it was like a place Your neighborhood for neighborhood grill and bar, young single, uh, you know, upwardly mobile professionals to hook up over a Harvey Wallbanger. Well, she's a hot piece. She gets up to that bar and orders a martini and all the men are kind of looking at her. And the one she ends up striking up the conversation with is what was his name? Richard Armstrong, a cosmetics executive, a cosmetics executive, whatever the hell that is. I'm generally regarded as fairly likable, reasonably good looking. I'm a whiz at my job. I'm very modest. I'm an account executive for Marlin Cosmetics. My name is Lawrence Armstrong, and I'm known as Larry to my friends, both old and new. What's your name? Claudia. It's nice to meet you, Claudia. Yes, and he's got that chest hair out, which I think is back then like a sign that you're like looking for action. What's your sign? Your DTF, if you have all of that chest hair poking out. And they end up kind of spending the evening together, drinking some more, dancing, drinking even more, dancing. And then before you know it, she ends up in his little Corvette back in the parking garage of his apartment complex. You mean his little red Corvette? Yeah. But before she makes any mistakes. Well, she can't cheat. She, she can't, like, she reaches that point and she can go no further. You know, she says, I'm sorry, I think I've made a mistake, which is kind of like a, a classical Dodgers line, right? Like, use a guy for a couple of free drinks at the disco, and then you get to the parking garage, and it's like, oh, I think I've made a mistake. I'm not going back to your place Yeah, she, she won't go upstairs. She won't even kiss him and, and runs off kind of feeling emotional about it, which the funniest part is, is he reveals he's also married too. Although he could just be saying that to try to get her upstairs. As oh, that's exactly what I was like. Oh, he's just saying that to like the overcome her objection that she's married. It's yeah. Like, by that I've point, heard that one before, buddy. Yeah. He just wanted the panties on the floor. I think he was willing to say anything because he had probably I, bought I, her at least eight martinis that think, night. I don't think Claudia wears panties. That's what I'm getting from this character. <laughs> Well, she definitely wasn't wearing panties at the end of the episode. So, so yeah, so she's really upset. She goes to a phone booth, and who do you think she calls for help? Who is are you going to call? Is it Matthew Blaisdell? Mm-mm. It's Stephen Carrington, baby. Mm-hmm. In the woods. They do have this friendly moment, uh, but you do wonder, what are the boundaries of friendship? And that's what I like. I've always liked this storyline with these two because they push it to this level where yeah, they're friends and they're sort of good for each other in some way, but then he's kind of leaning into her too much. And she's kind of just 
going with it and then she's ready for it and well she does have a perspective that i didn't even consider and she says the little smooch that they shared a few episodes ago she felt it was more brotherly than romantic that's right so that was interesting and kind of makes more sense because she knows that he identifies as gay or has before but despite all that she's you know as she already said everybody else called him a fruit. I just say he's gay. And I think that kind of talk is disgusting. So she's, you know, boundaries don't mean much to her, uh, at least in the parlance of, you know, 1981. And so she's like, well, whatever we can smooch in the woods under the moonlight after you come save me from almost being date raped at the, at the discotheque. Then it's like, well, wait a minute. So you guys, definitely are taking this friendship way off the road here like this is now turning into some really like great soap opera writing i think i don't know (laughs) yeah the lines are definitely blurry and it's definitely interesting and that's not all for claudia she decides to confront crystal about this affair yeah i i like this scene um they're they just—I don't know—are I guess there's art galleries in Denver, Colorado, in like in, in 1981. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yes, I just, darling, I just like they did have art she, in Denver. I just like that she called the the Carrington Mansion and somehow got the whereabouts of Crystal, who's just I guess wandering the art galleries in downtown Denver, and just shows up, you know, and runs into her in front of a, you know, a contemporary art piece which i'm sure is worth nothing today it was actually a pretty savvy move because uh move because it was neutral ground right she wasn't going to the carrington mansion to confront crystal and she wasn't like calling a meeting so crystal wasn't really able to prepare for this moment so i think it was awesome of claudia to do that no it's it's a good move on her part and but i do like i like the setting because here we are with like aspirations again like it's art it's literature you know there's always these like moments where we're trying to like elevate what these characters you know tastes levels are clearly neither of them is there for the art because crystal's just kind of wandering around in a daze and i like that they meet each other coming around the corner in the art gallery and Crystal says, Claudia. And Claudia says, Ms. Carrington. You know, so Claudia is like not even having that pleasantry with her. Yeah, no, the way no that... No Christian names here. <laughs> uh-huh. The way that Claudia handled this was pitch perfect. And Crystal was clearly caught off guard. And she even tells Claudia that, that this is unfair, that she's coming for her when she hasn't even talked to Matthew about it, her husband. Have you asked Matthew about this? I'm asking you. That's very unfair, Claudia. Matthew's your husband. I'm nothing to you. And Blake Carrington is your husband. What is it that you want? I mean, don't you already have enough? I don't I don't know that Claudia is seeking resolution. I think she's trying to work on her marriage with Matthew. I don't know how much this serves that purpose ultimately, but I think she needs to confront Crystal and she does it. But uh, she's got work to do at home. I don't think she really cares about what's going on at home because after this confrontation at the art gallery, 
she ends up at the Carrington cabin outside of town with Stephen, who went uh, to take a little sojourn there as he revealed to her when he went to pick her up from her scandals excursion. It's this weird like Harold and Maude moment the next morning. Like, oh my God, Stephen and Claudia are in bed together naked, you know, or I mean, assumably because they're under bed sheets, but it's, it's a little bit... It's a kind of an eye-opening moment, but you knew it was coming. But when you just cut to that, it's like, oh, okay. Uh, I missed the flash and fire of Claudia and Steven doing it. Yeah, it definitely was still surprising, even though they've had these romantic moments together. But to actually consummate their relationship in the cabin, it's it's a bit much. And it's a love shack. It totally is a love shack and they both seem to enjoy it, I guess, because she tells him that he was a gentle lover, regardless of gender. You don't have to wonder, Stephen. There's a beautiful gentleness about you. Tenderness that transcends gender. That's something you're never going to lose. No matter what happens after tonight. Love that line. I Look, I, I think that's like such a line that's, well, I mean, obviously it's relevant more now probably than it was. When, that was probably a throwaway line at that time. It was probably just supposed to be an excuse for how Stephen, who's supposedly probably homosexual, sleeping with Claudia... You know, but now, of course, it's like, well, everybody can be everything, and that's why I like you. You're not so defined. I think at the time, people were probably very territorial about this relationship because here is this straight, cisgendered woman having a sexual liaison with a man who identifies as gay. But really, what they're embarking on is very fluid. And that's something nowadays that is much more accepted and people are much more prone to want to have those sorts of relationships. So kudos to Dynasty and the the Shapiros for being so forward thinking. Well, I think it's one of those, uh, you know, a broken clock is right twice a day, right? Uh, I think they were just throwing everything at the wall and this one just happens to stick for today because then you look at the thing with Blake and Crystal uh uh-uh, uh no bueno I don't I don't want like marital rape going on in my my soap opera so not all of these things work out over time but this one certainly does yeah i guess the shapiro's giveth and the shapiro's taketh away now if crystal doesn't have enough problems by being violently attacked by her husband. Now she's got that little mousy stepdaughters of her Fallon tiptoeing around trying to figure out what's going on with her. Fallon sneaks into Michael, the worst chauffeur in the history of chauffeurs' quarters, which I thought was interesting. I don't think we've ever seen the servants' quarters before. All, he- all I saw is there was like a sink 
like a bathroom sink next to the entry door. And that just tells you all you need to know about how this guy lives. Yeah. But all I saw was Michael taking off his silk robe and showing off that body, adi, adi and those silk boxers. <laughs> terrible like silk boxer shorts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, look, I don't see the chemistry here again. I, I have to recuse myself. Because I actually, in that scene, I saw it. They were being very no. playful. Oh, that's because he was well lit. I, I, th- I think all of the bad things about him seem to disappear in, in dark lighting. Oh, maybe it's because I'm well lit because I'm halfway through this um, this martini that you served up. But um, the two of them are being very sexually playful with each other, and he's ready to drop the hot gossip honey on Crystal. Well, no, he's basically a broker's agent for you know negative information all around the Carrington house, whether it's Blake coming to him, whether it's Fallon coming to him. And so he thinks he's in this like power position because he's like triangulating all these people with all this information that he has and extortion and blackmail possibilities, I guess, Uh, you know, but I, I don't like the character. So I recuse myself, as I said, well, it works for Fallon because she lets him smooch on her. She presses him. I, yeah, I, you know what? This I find so unbelievable because she is clearly a, a, a five-dimensional chess player. And why she is messing around with this two-bit Well, in this driver. instance, it's because he has some tea to spill but on think, her stepmother. I still think she's still above she has that. an adversarial relationship with. I think with. that's three dimensions, but her fifth dimension is... But I also don't have to sleep with a guy to get that information. But, okay. Well, she's a woman, and she uses that prowess, as we've seen a few times now, to make her way in the world, as unfortunate as that is in a feminist environment. But it works because he reveals that he found out from the British babe secretary of Cecil Colby that Crystal pawned off her... She hawked her jewels. ...necklace, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, which we didn't know that Michael knew or anybody knew, but I guess everybody in Denver just well, has I, loose lips. Here's, yeah, some more of that sloppy writing, but that's fine, you know. It's, it's sort of assumed at this point, so... We'll give it a pass. So after she's done banging the help, she sneakily asks Crystal if she can borrow that necklace for a uh, for a evening event. And Crystal's yeah, like, th- that was sure, a fun of moment. course, of course. It, it wasn't really suspenseful. I just they weren't getting the level of suspense that they wanted out of this. I mean, Hitchcock did not direct this scene, but it was fun to listen to Fallon retell the story of shopping for the jewels. Before the wedding with Blake, with yeah, her and father. Crystal totally Crystal's calls her like, out. And uh, is like you were in yeah, Reno, bitch, you were in Reno. <laughs> Which I just love the idea of Fallon being in Reno. I was just like, thinking, what the hell is going on in Reno that Fallon would ever be there? Uh, I don't know. Maybe the football team was playing there. And it doesn't really matter because later Crystal pulls a Ocean's 8 and has a fake made to give to Fallon. I mean, uh, maybe that's Ocean's 235. I don't know. It's... Uh, excuse me. Excuse me. How many Ocean's movies have you actually seen? Like zero of them. Yeah, you've seen Ocean's Zero. So leave those pop culture references to me. My point being... It's very common for women of a certain means to have their jewelry copied 
It's what's called paste. I did learn that from the Real Housewives of Orange County, actually. Alexis uh, from all, Of all the people to learn that, like, oh, come on. But okay. But yes, uh, Crystal, she, she's she been around the block at this point. So, you know, her friend Doris earlier, like, even told her about, like, you can get fakes made. And that's what she's passing off here to Fallon. And, you know, so, so far the frame is holding. But yeah, we'll, we'll it see. seems to have worked, yeah. but we didn't really dive too deep into that in this episode. Is there something you want to have out with me, Fallon? Crystal, what a melodramatic question. Have what out? If it's that sweet talk I ever heard between you and Matthew, I mean, it was a party. We all of us say things at parties. I mean, if I had been quoted after two sips of champagne... Really have what out? It seems like Fallon bought it and Crystal literally burns the evidence. She takes the receipt for the fake and lights it on fire, which seems like a hazard to do in the Carrington mansion. Well, I just thought that it was another one of these dramatic things that somebody does on a a soap soap opera. opera. So... Or maybe Crystal's a witch. I don't know. Maybe all this time there's like something else to all this. And like she's like burning the effigy. It didn't seem like it was a controlled flame. Not sure that was up to code. We'd have to ask the Denver FD. Here's the thing. This necklace, it it looks like something from service merchandise. Like it's not anything super hot to me. It's just a old Gucci curb link chain with some like, I don't know, baguette cut emeralds or something i don't even know but it's it's not particularly sexy and but i guess it doesn't have to be sexy if it's just golden emeralds maybe that's all it takes to be worth something i mean it looks nice to me it ain't the crown jewels but it ain't like a special from zales either (laughs) zales you got me um here's the thing the episode's fucking called the necklace so you want a hot I, yes, piece of jewels. Yes, I want hot jewels. Um, but all I really kind of got was like some cold trinkets. And also, there was no necklace action. I think we had some Fallon trying to stir the pot and uncover the truth with her. And that was about three minutes of, of necklace talk. And that was it. So I don't know why this episode was called The Necklace. I, I think they kind of were already worn out after the previous episodes uh mythological and folkloric exegesis so maybe maybe they just should have not titled it the necklace if they didn't have the synergy good point (laughs) (laughs) well my favorite scene of the episode is Back at the hillside, which yep. is really becoming my favorite. This bar. is our place. I know that you are more of a scandals girl, and I'm more of a hillside. Uh, excuse me, bitch. <laughs> I'm a scandals dude, guy, whatever. But do not call me that. That is not how I identify. <laughs> Well, I love the hillside. I'm glad we're back at the best bar near an oil derrick in Denver. And their revelry was like on 
fire in fuego. Well, again, this this is just the 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 hoi polloi, the unwashed masses. They know how to party. What and rich was people that like the dance that Walter mm-hmm. Lankersham and Matthew Blaisdell were like, doing? It was like some like like a jig, some or sort something. of folkloric jig it was, where they were it was hand like in Scottish hand, Highlands river dance to the extreme. <laughs> and I don't know what with, with a Michelob light or something. Yeah, natty ice for show. No, that that wasn't around then yet. Oh, it wasn't? No. Maybe it was Coors? We might need to fact check that. <laughs> Stroh's. It was and totally then, river it dance into and a, super cute. Then they, they start shitting on each other and having all these toasts. You know, like, oh, Walter's this great old man who taught me everything. And, oh, Matthew's is this prodigal son who's going to take us into the future with oil. And uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's celebratory at least. I, I don't know how I was vibing with it, it is, but. because after we had marital rape, we have another ugly cry from Lindsay. We have an awkward sex scene with Fallon and the chauffeur. I needed a little bit of levity. I needed that light. So when they started dancing like they were little leprechauns and they were giving each other toasts and they were just broing out. I was like, finally, this is like what I need. And they deserved it. They've been working their asses off this whole time. Finally, this stupid oil derrick starts spurting the black gold which I didn't know that it ever would. And I actually felt some joy when I saw it, it honestly, it is all kind over of, their it's, faces. It's a bit of an emotional payoff to sit through seven or eight, however many, oh my God, I don't know how many episodes they sat through at this point. And finally, there's like a result, like an actual physical result of all the work that has been going on in this subplot at the oil derrick, you know? Yeah, I mean, you got to see that oil gush every episode of the Beverly Hillbillies. My this, eyes almost gushed. It was it was kind of an emotional payoff. I I, I gushed in my pants a little I, bit. I felt misty. <laughs> well, I didn't feel sticky, but I felt misty. But no, I'm really happy for them, and I'm really curious to see how this changes the dynamic of the show. Are they just going to be rich, bitch? I guess we have to watch another episode to find out. And we're back. My look of the week for the first time might be something that I just want to wear myself. And meaning, meaning put it over my head and go out (laughs) to scandals or to the hillside, like wherever I want. But it's really just kind of one item of clothing. I guess that is part of a whole ensemble. The item of clothing I want to wear is Claudia Blaisdell's super duper fuzzy sweater that has this like graphic treatment on the front of it. That like totally mimics the Dynasty oil spurt graphic from the title credits. I know. How fucking meta is that? (laughs) I mean, I think maybe they just found that sweater somewhere and they're like, you have to wear this in the next episode. It's, you know, or, or maybe that's like, she's wearing her husband's sports team, you know, but like her husband uh, owns the oil company. So she's wearing his, his oil logo on her shirt. I don't know. But yeah, I don't know if this thing is made of Angora or what, but it has 
shape it, and form. It's, it's got universal powers for sure. Well, it kind of reminds me of her uh, her superhero outfit. There is something sort of uniform about it. but It's uh, definitely something Crystal would not wear. Crystal doesn't wear a graphic. No, no graphic. She doesn't wear statement. And nothing fuzzy unless it's a fur. Oh, no, she honey. likes her fuzzy sweaters, but not like this. Yeah, definitely not those colors because they're sort of like a pastel... Easter situation. Yeah, I was just gonna say it's it's like a really bad Easter nightmare, but I it's I I I wouldn't want to wake up from this. It's kind of fun to watch. Gobble so, gobble. Which, I want which, which. <laughs> Oh wait, bunnies don't say gobble gobble, do they? <laughs> <laughs> so, what did you put in these martinis? <laughs> My look of the week is kind of. Look, there's no great looks in this episode. So I have just like a couple of runners up. Um, runners up to what? I don't know because, again, no great looks. So I really liked Fallon's. She's wearing this classic look where it's the high-waisted dark denim slim jean with a drapey sleeveless, I, I guess you call it a blouse, but it's like a button-up top and like a rayon or, well, they're the Carringtons. It's probably silk. So it's like in a sort of a burgundy color. This is like a, you could just wear this today. A lot of women have like bought this off, this look off the rack, like for the last 10 years. Uh, it's probably kind of winding down by now, but you know, this, this is a very contemporary right now look that she's got on. And it's not like a great outfit, but it holds up today. So there's something to be said for that. The other thing that I, I liked from this episode was Stephen Carrington's. We're on runners up because there's no great looks. Stephen Carrington has got this really nice bomber jacket on. I don't love the color, but it's cut just right. A little bit high on the waist as is appropriate for the time. And I have one just like it that is, I think, also from that time period. It's in a gray leather. And, you know, I don't wear it because I don't I don't think it, like, fits me the right way. And it looks too 1981. And you can't even really do that in a vintage way right now. But I, I think it looks good on him. And it's in that moonlight scene with, with Claudia. So it's also, you know, it's fun that he's wearing something that's kind of new and interesting. In, in that moment. Can I just say I'm completely shocked that neither one of us chose the outfit uh, that Claudia wore to scandal. That, that was a, that was too easy. And Claudia, frankly, was too easy here. I just, <laughs> she's, I do like, you know, she's doing this like crimpy perm. Oh yeah. She was going out and she was DTF. Because oh, she was she, DTF. Yeah. <laughs> she must've spent two hours getting that, crimp going on in her hair and well, she's she wearing lip gloss she's got a lip gloss and she's got a very heavy blush very heavy yeah it's uh, she could dial it back but uh, it's again it's that time and she's i don't know it's it's purpley and it's black and it's got some sharp shoulders on it again we're seeing the evolution of shoulder pads happening it's it's scandalous for sure it's not a great look but yeah i can't believe we chose it but i guess we just talked about it so maybe we did kind of choose it. Uh, secret look of the week <laughs> undercover look of the yeah. week 
from the undercover hoe. <laughs> <laughs> well, her, her therapist did call her a hooker in this. Well, I know, which is just so No, I'm sorry. I think she called herself a hooker to her. I don't know. She she thought the therapist thought she was a hooker. Something like that. Uh, whatever. Haven't we all had that moment where we're where like... We, are, we thought our therapist thought we were calling ourselves a hooker? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, anyway, this is, Martini's been delicious. Yeah. We're wasted. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kyler, I want to... I actually just want you to wrap the episode up because I am a little too inebriated to finish. You drank half that drink. It's <laughs> not that crazy, but all right. So I, I guess we have to give thanks to <laughs> the above. Um, God, DJ like Jugo thank God. for our wondrous theme song and Lindsay Mound for our iconographic images yeah jugo and Lindsay. that's right and uh you, you can reach us on all of our podcast and social media type places and that's nastypodcast.com n-a-s-t-y podcast.com wait there ain't no d in it i said nasty podcast how do you spell that n-a-s-t-y podcast uh-huh dot com Okay, if you made it to the end of this episode, you are a saint, a sweetheart, a slice of apple pie, and we love you. We'll see you next week. Ciao.